Hey, it's Pastor Mike. Before we get to today's episode, I want you to know that we at Time of Grace have a ton of resources to help you in your walk of faith. From our TV program, to daily devotions, to our Grace Talks video devotions, to podcasts, to our blog, to books, to other books, to still more books, uh, whatever you're looking for and however you best learn, you can stay rooted in Jesus by taking time out for God's word every day. If you're interested, just go to timeofgrace.org to sign up for our daily email. Now, on to today's episode. What do you think is the most memorable prayer in all of the Bible? I think you've got one, right? You're probably thinking the Lord's Prayer. What is the most memorable prayer in the Old Testament? That's a little bit harder. And for me, it's the first long recorded prayer in Genesis chapter 18. And here's kind of the story behind it. Abraham is living in this area near a town called Sodom and another town called Gomorrah. And his nephew, his, his relative, lives inside that town. And God comes to him, we've got to back up 25 years. God comes to him about 25 years earlier and says, Abraham, you're going to be a father of a great nation and all these uh, countries are going to be blessed through you. Now it's 25 years later, it's been crickets on the procreative front, nothing is happening. And then God says, within a year, you're going to have your own baby. And you can imagine the joy of this moment as Abraham and Sarah, his wife, take this in. They had not gotten pregnant all these years, and suddenly, through miraculous means, they're going to have their own baby. And then on their way out, God says, and by the way, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, I have to destroy it. Wow, like deflating balloon as we try and figure this out. What was the sin that Sodom and Gomorrah did that is so devastating? This is what it says in Ezekiel chapter 16. Now, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. Therefore, I did away with them, as you have seen. So when I heard this story as a kid, and I think maybe you know the story, as Abraham negotiates with God with like this bold and with this persistent prayer, I always thought, man, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah were like the worst. In fact, this is true. In my sandbox as a kid, we had the sandbox underneath a two-story playhouse. It was awesome that my dad built we would set up these stone pavers and we would knock them down with balls and say that this is God's destruction on Sodom and Gomorrah. We thought it was great. Like, they deserve it. They're the worst people ever. But then, as an adult, what did God say was the indictment against Sodom and Gomorrah? They were overfed, arrogant. Could these things be said about you, me? Uh, they were unconcerned. They didn't take care of the poor. You ever done detestable things? This changes the whole perspective for me because there is a day and there is a moment that you and I have to stand before Almighty God. And we can ask a simple question just like Abraham. Abraham had a question, God, for the sake of 50 righteous people, will you save the rest of Sodom and Gomorrah? And I think we have a little bit different prayer. God, for the sake of one holy, just human being who is true God and true man, will you save me? God's answer is always yes. So let's go to him and pray. Heavenly Father, uh, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we look at this prayer of boldness and persistence, a prayer that cares for all people, help us to reflect on our own life, not the judgment of the world, but instead, let's take a look at our own heart, that in your mercy, you took on the wrath that was in the punishment that we deserve, and you've given us a freedom to live for you. Help us to live in joy in that freedom of forgiveness and grace. We ask this in your name. Amen. Let me ask you this. Have you ever wondered if God really wants to hear from you? Me too. And we're looking at 
one of the boldest, most persistent prayers in all the Bible. This is in Genesis chapter 18. Abraham is getting ready to pray to God, but here's a little bit of the background. As God invites Abraham to have this discussion with him, have this prayer with him. We're going to start, we're going to do, look at a number of verses. you got to stick with me. We're going to start with verse uh, 16. It says, when the men got up to leave, these were the two angels with God. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them on their way. Then the Lord said, this is key, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations on earth will be blessed through him, for I have chosen him. So this is part one, right? God says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Now imagine this, you've got this young couple, and they're your kids, right? Your, your son and his wife, and they're, they're sitting there, and they look at each other like with sheepish eyes, like, should we tell them? Like, what are they about to tell you? A, if they're married, they're going to tell you that they have a baby coming. Or if they're not married, they're going to tell you we're engaged, right? This is the thing. If someone says to you, should we tell them, you know that they're about to tell you. So that's what has happened. God said, Abraham, should we tell him? We know it's coming. Next, it says, verse 20. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down to see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. This sounds a little bit strange, but how is this an invitation to have a conversation? God is saying, okay, the situation in Sodom is terrible, but I'm going to go take a look to see if it's as bad as I think. God is, in a sense, inviting Abraham to say, I haven't quite made my decision, and that's a whole different theological discussion, but I haven't quite made my decision, but I'm going to go down and see if this is what the situation is. He's saying to Abraham, okay, I've told you the thing, Now I want to know, I'm opening the door a little bit to have a conversation about them. And so Abraham is hearing this, right? He wants to plead for Sodom. The final thing goes like this. Uh, The men turned and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. So we have this amazing exchange where God has told him the secret information. He has said, I haven't quite made my decision up. So he's kind of opening the door for discussion. And then finally, they're alone. And so Abraham seizes on this opportunity. It's persistent and it's bold. And you're going to hear this prayer in just a, a tomorrow, like how amazing this is and the confidence that Abraham had. And you think, you know what? God has never really asked me to pray to him. But I would disagree. Maybe it's your shame or guilt keeping you away from a conversation with God, but Jesus has come and paid for all your sins. Jesus says, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. God says, cast all your anxiety in me because I care for you. God, like a loving father, wants you to sit in his lap and tell you what's going on in your life. And God wants to listen. And God wants to care. And God wants to do something about it. Has God ever asked you to come and talk to him? He certainly has. Let's do that. Heavenly Father, you invite us to sit in your lap and to pray. You invite us to come with all our concerns and worries. We don't have to worry about our shame or guilt because you've taken care of that. So empower us and encourage us come to you more and more with whatever requests we have. We ask this in our Savior's name who allows us to pray to you. Amen. Have you ever wondered who you should pray for or whom? Who you should pray for? Either one, you can figure it out. And I do too sometimes. I want to give you a scenario. You tell me your prayer. Hypothetically, you just dropped your daughter off at school just a month ago. And you hear, and that all cell phone communications are wiped out, but you hear that there's a dorm fire in her dorm. What is your prayer? Hypothetically, your best friend goes into the, the most despicable prison around where there's totally unrepentant people that are doing all these things, pedophiles and murderers. And 
what is your prayer if you find out that there's a riot and you have no communication? My guess is, if you're anything like me, dear Lord, help my daughter come home safe. Dear Lord, help my best friend get out of there safely. Listen very closely to Abraham's prayer because it's a little bit different. He's got a relative that is in Sodom and Gomorrah and they just heard that this is going to be utterly destroyed. But his prayer is a little bit different and it's very, very bold. He says, to God in his face, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Like, wow, that's a pretty serious prayer and a bold request. He's saying, God, for 50 people, will you destroy all the rest? We could say it a little bit differently. His prayer is not, God, will you just let Lot and his daughters out of the town and just destroy the rest? Instead, he says, for the sake of the good people, those who follow and love you, will you spare the rest? So what's the takeaway? I think the takeaway for me is a lot of my prayers are dwelling on me and the people that I love. And I sometimes forget all the other people. So maybe this is just a little bit of a shift. God, when I think about who you are and how much you love people, how about you take care of my family and everybody else? God, when I think about the people who don't know who you are, maybe it makes some sense to give them a little bit more time so that they can hear your message that changes lives. I can think of a prayer that's a little bit similar. There isn't one like Abraham's because Moses prays for the people of Israel and Jeremiah prays for the people of Israel. No one else prays for everyone, except maybe one, when you think about criminals, as Jesus stands on the cross and says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That is our heart and that's our prayer, to look at the world as a whole and pray for them. Let's do that. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so often our prayers are self-centered, but you give us a boldness when we know who you are, that you love not just your believers, but you love the whole world. So we pray that we have a mind and a heart that sees the world as a whole, and we can pray that your message reaches more and more people so that more and more people can know the peace of what it means to come to a Heavenly Father that listens to them. We ask this in your name. Amen. How do you feel when you are punished for someone else's problem? Not my favorite thing in the world, especially in our culture. I'm okay if I do something wrong, then I receive the punishment or I receive the ticket or I receive whatever. I'm not so okay when someone else does something and I take the blame. Here's kind of what happens. If you grew up in a big family, you recognize pretty fast that life is not always fair. I had three brothers and a sister. If one of the kids was goofing around, it very likely meant that the whole family did not get ice cream. There's a little bit of self-policing that then happens. But we get the idea, right? You don't get ice cream because someone else did something wrong. Now escalate this a little bit. We have a story in the book of Joshua chapter 7, a man named Achan. They went into the town, Joshua and his men, they went into the town called Ai, and God said, leave all the valuables there. Instead, Achan takes this valuable thing, he buries it in his tent, but then word gets out that someone had stolen something. And so it's kind of this chilling account in Joshua 7 as it goes from tribe to, I think, clan to family. And soon it's Achan and his whole family standing before the people and the elders. And the earth opens up and in his guilt swallows all of them. So this is just ice cream. We're talking about life and we're talking about death. How does it make you feel to know that Adam and Eve has sinned and because of that you are born sinful? I don't like it so much. What we're going to look at in our prayer of Abraham, which is kind of a fascinating thing, is Abraham is going to try and look at it from a different perspective. 
Instead of saying, obviously, all these people have done wrong, now I have to receive the punishment, Abraham is asking a simple question when he comes to God. For the sake of 50 righteous people, would it be okay that everyone would be saved? And that's a little bit different. It's saying, if someone truly knows you and loves you, God, are you willing to forgive everyone else? And I think as we get ready to stand before God, that's the principle we really want to know. As I stand before you as my maker, God, here's my question. For the sake of one holy being, are you willing to forgive me? And God's answer always is yes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we look at Ernest as a very serious story that because of the sin of many people, all of us receive that punishment. We live in a sinful world. We're born sinful because of Adam and Eve. We ask that on the last day you look at this a little bit differently and you promise that you do, that for the sake of one who is righteous, Jesus, who went to the cross holy and perfect, that you're willing to forgive not just the sins of the world, but you're willing to forgive my heart as well. We ask this in your name. Amen. This week we're looking at one of the boldest, one of the most relentless prayers in all of the Bible. And I always thought as a kid, like, what if I could pray like Abraham? What if I had that kind of courage to, to pray and just ask right before God's face? We have this picture where God has invited Abraham to stand before him. And now he's making this request. And this is what he says in verse uh, 22. Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? This is verse 23. Uh, what if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? And then he continues. The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. This is the key verse, verse 27. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes. I think this is a challenge that we have as believers. Part of it is recognizing who God is, and that's exactly what Abraham did. And so in that boldness, knowing that God loves people, that God loves righteousness, that God loves his believers, he knew he could ask boldly and actually, in a sense, get in God's face and say, God, I demand this of you. But then suddenly, do you recognize what's happening to Abraham? In the back of his mind, he says, though I'm just dust and ashes, I have no right to be talking to you. Well, his prayer continues, and it is amazing. He goes from 50 people to 45, and then 40, and then 30, then 20. Then finally, he's like, I can't believe I'm doing this. God, for the sake of 10 righteous people, will you save the whole town of Sodom and Gomorrah? And God says, for 10, I will do it. Then the verse says, Abraham went home. He was done. And here's the challenge, I think. As persistent and as bold as this prayer was, he knew Lot lived in that town, his nephew. He didn't go, God, for the sake of Lot, just one person, will you just forgive the whole city? He gave up. He walked away. And I think this is a challenge with our own boldness. If you'd say, if you just think about what God has done for you, that God loves you, that you're forgiven, that God says, ask and it will be given to you, what kind of boldness does that give you? Like, this is on the one side, but on the other side, I just remember who I am, and I remember my own guilt and my own frailty and my own sin. And so while I'm trying to get bold in my predictions and my requests of God, I just remember where I'm at, and it kind of pulls these requests down. What if I told you that Christ never gave up on you? What if I told you that Christ came to this earth and wiped away all our sin and guilt and shame? What kind of boldness would you have in your prayers this year? What kind of boldness would you have to come before God? What kind of persistence would you have? Would you give up in prayer knowing that we have a God who loves you, who wants to answer your prayers, 
and he doesn't even see you as a sinner any longer, but holy and precious and his child, I think that changes the way we pray. And I think maybe we could be a little bit bolder, a little bit more persistent, and a whole lot bigger. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our prayers are simply too small. Uh, you've taken our sin away. You want to answer our prayers. Help us to think bigger and how we can save not just ourselves through uh, your Son, but let's think on a bigger scale what you can do in this earth. What would it look like if all believers boldly prayed the way that Abraham did and instead of giving up, go all the way to you and make the biggest request that we can think of. We ask this in your name boldly, in Christ. Amen.